This morning, we're going to look at a very familiar story, or perhaps I should say two stories that have been merged into one story, but it's one that we, most of us know well, but want to bring it back to our hearts and minds, and it's a little lengthy, the reading is, so we're going to let you stay seated for the reading, then we'll stand up afterwards for the song. Anybody notice chairs up here? It's really funny, after the first service, I had two or three people say, I never even saw those chairs. But I've already been asked about them for this, so I know that some of you. Well, we're going to invite a few of the characters of this story to come and join us today uh, in these chairs, okay? So uh, as we read along, we'll notice which ones of the characters the chairs are for. This is Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, the Sea of Galilee, Lake Gennesareth, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. And we're actually going to treat the crowd as a character today. So we're going to put the crowd here. And I know they'd have all trouble sitting in one chair together, but um, there they are. For those of you sitting at the back, that does say crowd. If you can't read it, then you can schedule an appointment with your optometrist soon, and maybe that'll work. Then, one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Well, certainly in this story, we're going to need to have Jairus show up and talk about what's going on in his life. So this chair will be for Jairus. Seeing Jesus, Jairus fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please, come, put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. We've already got the crowd here. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. We'll give this woman a place to sit. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors. She had spent all that she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, She came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Well, immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? Well, you see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered. These poor disciples, so many times, they show to tell us how to be a follower of Jesus, and sometimes they do it by showing us what not to do. They go on to say, how can you say who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. And then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith 
has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Well, while Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? But ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, Don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. Well, they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. Let's let the little child, the little girl, have a chair as well. He took her by the hand and he said to her, Talitha, kum, which means... Little girl, I say to you, get up. And immediately the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. And at this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this. And then he told them to give the girl something to eat. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's be Um, Now that we brought this story back to your mind and heart and you've remembered some of the details about it, we're going to spend some time practicing a medieval um, discipline, and that's called Lectio Divina. We're going to walk around in this story for a little bit. And we've got these chairs here, and the end result of this is to invite you to figure out which chair is, is most comfortable for you. Uh, In doing this, as we sort of assume different roles within these biblical stories, we can see them from different angles, and we also kind of begin to identify with one character or another. And sometimes that's really good and affirming, and sometimes it kind of encourages us that maybe we need to make some changes. So let's do that. Let's start with the woman today. This woman is unnamed. We don't know anything about her background. We know that she's been sick for 12 years. And we wonder what she was like 12 years ago. You know, was she wealthy? We've been told that she lost her money to the doctors, spent all of her money trying to get a cure for this affliction that she had. So she must have had some money. Maybe she thought 12 years ago that she had enough money to finish out her whole life. And now, 12 years later, she's still sick, feeling worse, and has no money. I've often wondered if she was ever married. I don't even know how old she was, but it doesn't sound like she has anyone right now. Because in a moment, we'll notice that the little girl, where's the little girl? There's the little girl, has a dad that goes to Jesus for her, but this woman had no advocate. She had no one that would go to Jesus and ask for his help. Maybe she had been married. Maybe her husband had died. Maybe he just packed up and moved off. Maybe he just got tired of dealing with the woman that was sick all the time. And particularly since her affliction made them living together as husband and wife an impossibility. So we don't know what all this woman's been through. But we do know that at this point she really has no one else to turn to. But she hears about Jesus. 
And she decides that she will go and approach him. Now that is quite a decision to make. There were a lot of reasons for her not to go see Jesus. For example, she was a woman who had been weakened by this affliction over her 12 years, and she had no business being out in the heat of day. She had no business being out in the crowds where she could get jostled and knocked over. She just had no business being out there. Plus, she was ritually unclean, and she wasn't supposed to be around other people. She certainly wasn't supposed to touch anyone else. Because if she touched someone else, that person became unclean, and they had to go through all these purification rites before they could enter back into society again. So this woman had a lot of reasons not to go, but we all know the main reason she had to go. Jesus was her last hope. Jesus was her last resort. And so you can watch her as she goes out And as she finds the crowd and as she begins to push her way through that crowd, thinking that if I can just touch his clothes. Now, I wonder about that too. I wonder, does that mean that she doesn't think she can get close enough because she's not strong enough to really get right up there with him? Or maybe she's thinking, I don't want to make him impure. And maybe if I can get away with just touching his clothes, it'll be okay. But she definitely had faith that if she could get that close. And so in your mind's eye, you can see this woman weakened over 12 years of misery, pushing her way through the crowd and finally getting close enough where she could just reach out and she could just touch his clothes. And immediately it says when she did, she felt power going through her body. She felt health returning to her. I've never experienced a healing that fast. I I know sometimes I've had a bad cold or a sore throat or something, and I've gone to bed, and you get up the next morning, and you realize, hey, I'm not coughing, or my throat's not sore anymore. It just feels so good, doesn't it, that that healing has taken place. And you can just imagine her as she's touching him and, and realizes that something has happened and that her problem is gone. Now, her plan seems to be that as soon as she had touched him and if she had received her healing, to just sort of melt back into the crowd and be gone. But Jesus stops and turns around, and in the midst of all this crowd that's bumping into him and touching and grabbing and trying to shake his hand and trying, he says, who touched me? Well, we're going to see in a moment that his disciples think that's really a silly question to ask, but the woman knows what he means. And so she knows that she's been found out. And she goes and she falls down before him with fear and trembling because she says that, or well, I don't know why she was in fear and trembling. There's several ideas there. One is that maybe she felt like that he was going to be angry with her for maybe taking some of his power without asking. Uh, Maybe she thought he was going to be angry with her and everybody else was going to be angry when they found out that everybody that she had touched was now impure and unclean. Or maybe she was just afraid to be in the presence and that close to such power. But what Jesus said to her was amazing, wasn't it? He said, it's your faith that made your touch different than everybody else's touch. It is your faith that has healed you. And he goes ahead and pronounces her healing as permanent. And he tells her to go in peace and blesses her. 
But you know probably the most important thing he said to her that whole time? I think as she probably went home and replayed this scene countless times in her mind, the word that came to her heart and warmed her heart the most was that Jesus called her daughter. For 12 years, she had belonged to no one. She had been pushed aside. And Jesus gave her a place to belong and embraced her and called her daughter. Let's look at Jairus for a moment. There he is. Jairus is kind of a puzzle. We know he was a ruler of the synagogue, and we don't know what all that means. He wasn't the preacher. He wasn't the priest. He, he didn't do the teaching in the synagogue. He kind of ran the synagogue. He was in charge of the facilities and all the physical affairs and all of this. It was a very top-notch uh, uh, position. It paid well, and uh, it put him right at the top of society. And if Jairus were to come in here today, just walk down this aisle, we would find him kind of strange looking because he would have some kind of official clothing on that would be very different from what we're used to. And uh, we don't really understand what he did and all that. But on the other hand, he's very easy to relate to because he was a doting, loving father. Now, that touches all our hearts, doesn't it? To see Jairus in that light, that here he has this little girl who has no hope, and he is doing everything that he possibly can to help that girl. Even going to this carpenter's son from Nazareth that he had heard about and asking for his help. Now, first of all, think about that. How many rulers of the synagogue do you think liked Jesus? Think about the other stories where Jesus goes into the synagogue. What kind of reception does he get? Usually they're trying to figure out how to kill him by the time he leaves. And yet you have Jairus that's willing to do this. Why is that? Is it because he's just simply more open than his peers are? Maybe. I think it really is more that he's just more desperate than his peers. That he's got a reason that has driven him to go and seek help wherever He can find it. So he goes to Jesus, and here he is in all of his glory, all of his official garments, the man who would bend his knee toward no one, and he falls down before Jesus' feet and starts begging him to come and help. And Jesus agrees. Now I want you to walk with them as they're headed back to Jairus' house, because see, this is an ambulance run right now. You know, Jairus knows his daughter is dying, and she's dying quickly, and she's trying to get Jesus to come on, and so Jesus comes while a large crowd, you know, goes along with them, and all of a sudden, Jesus stops. Now, this is like you've gone to get help for a family member, and you're riding in the ambulance with the paramedics, getting to there, and you know your family member is not going to be there long, and all of a sudden, they pull over to the side of the road and stop. I wonder what Jairus thought about that. Is he magnanimous enough to know that, well, here's a woman who needs help too? Or is he saying, come on, come on, come on. We got to go, we got to go. I know someone in that crowd was thinking that. What's he doing? You know, why are we stopping here and talking to this woman? We got to get to this important man's house and help his daughter. Well, the fears are confirmed because some messengers come and say, it's too late. It's too late. She's died. But Jesus looks at Jairus, 
Jesus, who had just said the words to the woman, your faith has made you well. It is your faith that made your touch different than everybody else's touch. He turns to Jairus and says, don't listen to these people. You believe. You just have faith. And evidently he did. Because they go on and they rush into the house and you know the rest of the story, how the people there laugh at Jesus. They think it's too late. He can't do anything for the girl. But I bet Jairus did. And Jairus and his wife and the three disciples, Peter, James, and John, that are allowed to go in, they go in, and the little girl is raised from the dead. Now, we lose sight of Jairus after this, never see him again. But we already love him, don't we? We love him for being a father who loved his daughter, was able to put aside anything and everything for that, for that girl. And we love him for being a believer, even though you know how much criticism he would get, even though others would laugh at him, even though others said this isn't true, he stood up to his peers and said, I believe. Well, let's quickly look at a couple of other, well, three more here. The crowd, the crowd, the crowd. In the Gospel of Mark, the crowd is kind of here, there, and everywhere. Uh, They show up often as a character in Mark. You need to, sometimes when you're reading through the Gospel of Mark, just notice all the things the crowd does. The crowd is made up of a lot of different kinds of people. There's some people there that are really intrigued by Jesus. I'm sure there's people in that crowd that believe him and are supporters of his. But there are also a lot of people that are very critical of him, a lot of people that are very skeptical of him, and even people that are hostile toward him, that are just watching him, trying to figure out one way that they can get to him and and to cause his ministry to come to an end and cause his life to come to an end. Well, that crowd is gathered around and witnessing a lot of these events here. But the difference between this crowd and the woman and Jairus is that you have to have no commitment to be a part of the crowd. You know? Some of those people were there just because it was exciting. Not a lot going on up in Galilee, you know? Not a lot on TV. What do you do? Well, you hear that there's all this commotion going on and you go to see. So there were people like that. And, and, but it takes no commitment. You can go and listen for a while. You can go home. You can do this. You can do that. And it's interesting to me that these very people that were gathered around Jesus, a lot of them touched him. And absolutely nothing happened. Isn't that interesting that you can be that close to Jesus? That you can even touch him? And nothing happens in your life unless you touch him in faith. Now, that kind of ties in with the disciples. And they just have one really important role in this story besides Peter, James, and John who get to go in and witness the raising of the dead of the little girl. But it's whenever they're walking along and Jesus stops and says, wait, somebody touched me. And they're like, huh. How can you say that? You know, it's funny, they've been with Jesus all this time and he still surprises them, doesn't he? Uh, because the disciples, and, and this is a common problem with discipleship, the longer we stay around Jesus, the more we've got him figured out. We pretty much know what he's going to do and what he's not going to do. 
And, and we kind of have doors closed. This is kind of uh, emphasized in the story that happens right after this one where Jesus goes to the synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth. And the people there at first are excited because he's a celebrity. But then they begin saying, oh, we know this guy. He grew up here. He's nothing special. Well, the disciples get a little of that infection as well. And, and they're, you know, Jesus, everybody's touching you. What do you mean someone touched you? When I hear about the disciples, I begin examining my own life because I've been around Jesus for a long time. And I wonder sometimes if I forget that he can do more than I think he can. I think maybe I've closed some doors in my life that he would have been glad to walk in and help. But I didn't ask. I just thought he didn't do things like that. So the disciples remind us that we need to keep those doors opened. And we need to let him surprise us at times. And we just need to let him be who he is and do what he does. And also... As the disciples stand there with Jesus and we have a woman sprawled out before him, worshiping him, and we have a ruler of the synagogue lying flat on his face before him, we need to remember that sometimes we can get so familiar with him and he becomes our buddy that we rarely ever get on our knees before him and worship. One more, the little girl, don't know anything much about her. No, she was 12 years old, same age as the woman who, well, the woman was, had been sick for 12 years. The little girl was 12. That's kind of an interesting little detail in this story. But I've wondered a lot, was this little girl born a sickly little girl? Was she just sick all her lives and her life and her parents had, had through their love and attention, had kept her going? And, uh, but now it had come just to where that wasn't working anymore and they knew she was about to die. Or, or had she been a bright and vibrant child, healthy, and just the, the, you know, the delight of their lives, and then suddenly got up one morning and said, Mom, my head hurts, and they felt over and she had a high fever, and then it just went downhill from there. We don't know, but we do know she was greatly loved by her parents, and we know that she lay there dying for a while. I've never been in that situation. I can't tell you what it's like to lie in a room dying. But I, uh, this little girl, I know she had to be aware of the love of her parents. She had to appreciate the fact that her dad was willing to go and to find anyone that could help her. But while he was gone, she had slipped away. And where she went, I don't know. And what that felt like, I don't know. But I think it is so cool that the next words she heard. You know these words that we have in the Bible where Jesus is talking? We don't really have his real words because they, those words were written down in Greek. Jesus didn't speak Greek. He could have if he wanted to, but he didn't. He spoke Aramaic. And, and these words are written down in Greek. So when we read what Jesus said... We're reading the English translation of Greek words that translate Jesus Aramaic. But every once in a while, what he says is so important that the Bible writes down the very words he said. And that's true in this story. Talitha kum, which are the exact words that Jesus said. And you know what those words are? Those are the words that parents used when they went in the room 
to wake their child in the morning. Little girl, time to get up. Let's go. Isn't that wonderful to think that when we hear the voice of Jesus, he'll be calling to us as a child, saying, come on, it's time to get up. I know Peter, James, and John, as they faced their own deaths, I would just think that this story came back to their minds. And they were able to close their eyes and to face that moment of dying, knowing what Jesus was about to say to them. My little child, come on. Time to get up. Well, where do you find yourself? Whose chair do you feel most comfortable in? Only you can answer that. One more observation of that about this is that there are uh, three people here that probably experience this story the most as good news and excitement. And every one of those three was either sick, dying, dead, or greatly loving someone who was dying and dead. This story tells us that Jesus will come to us and help us. Maybe not physically every time, but that he's there for us. And that he calls to us and he comes and he helps. But it also tells us that we are to remember that the way we approach him is to come and to fall down before him and to worship. And that when we reach out to touch him, We touch him in faith. How sad it is that we can come into the presence of Jesus. We can even touch and nothing happen. Let us be those who worship and let us be those whose touch is filled with faith. Let's stand and sing.